This is the Registry Podcast. Welcome to the Real Perspectives Podcast. I'm your host, Vladimir Bosanets, the co-founder and publisher of the Registry. In today's episode, we bring you a recent webinar that we hosted focused on the modular construction industry. We think you will enjoy this market overview and better understand some of the opportunities and challenges modular development brings to the market. Enjoy. Okay. Uh, good morning, everyone, again. Uh, thank you for joining us. Uh, my name is Vladimir Bosanets. I'm the co-founder and publisher of The Registry. Uh, we are a, a West Coast commercial real estate uh, news website. Um, welcome. Um, you know, we're really excited to have you join us um, on this webinar. We're going to have a, uh, a very interesting conversation about modular construction and uh, provide uh, not just some insights from experts who do this day in, day out, but also talk a little bit about, you know, some of the challenges and also some of the things that make these, uh, you know, development methods successful. That's really the uh, main main point here. Um, uh, before uh, we get started, I want to just call out a couple of logistical items. Um, we're not going to have a formal Q&A. So during our presentation, during the conversation at the bottom of your screen, there is a Q&A section. So feel free to pose uh, questions there. We'll try to answer them live and uh, incorporate them into, into our conversation. Um, also, um, in the uh, webinar chat area, we have included a couple of uh, sort of takeaways. This is a virtual takeaway, essentially. Um, one is a brochure from Nibi Brothers, who is helping us put this webinar together. Um, and it's uh, a little document about their capabilities and modular construction in general. And then there's also a link provided. Uh, you'll hear the panelists mention Sango Court, which is one of the projects that they worked on in Milpitas, California. Um, that link is also provided specific to that project. So uh, two little takeaways for you all, um, you know, while you're uh, uh, on, on this call. So uh, without further ado, I would like to uh, welcome our panel. Um, and before we do, I also want to have uh, Nibi say a few words um, about their company and uh, Randall Thompson, who is here with Nibi is going to say a few words and also introduce himself. Randall? Thank you, Vlad, and good morning, everyone. My name is Randall Thompson. I'm the Senior Pre-Construction Manager at Nibby Brothers. Uh, for over 70 years, Nibby has been one of the Bay Area's most respected builders, servicing our clients and community with integrity, innovation, and quality. Uh, we've built countless technically complex and iconic buildings throughout the Bay Area with offices in San Francisco and Oakland, all while staying true to our core values. Our excellent reputation continues to thrive today due to our 300 outstanding employees and their commitment to community engagement and development. Uh, prior to joining Nibby, I worked for a vertically integrated firm that developed, designed, manufactured, and built modular projects. And I'm pleased to continue the use of this technology at Nibby, and I look forward to sharing our collective modular experience with you all today. Thank you, Randall. Welcome, Joanna. Uh, Good morning, everyone. My name is Ioana Maggiati. I am an architect and partner at AO. AO, we're approximately 350 people focusing on the full spectrum of multifamily and commercial real estate. We are doing a lot of modular projects, both uh, affordable and market rate, and uh, we're looking forward to do even more. Awesome. Thank you. Uh, Rick? Good morning, everyone. I'm Rick Murdoch. Uh, this is my 47th year in this industry. And I'm the CEO and co-founder of Autovolve Volumetric Modular. Uh, it's an automated robotic manufacturing plant in Nampa, Idaho. Wonderful. And Caleb? Yes, thank you, Vlad. Uh, good uh, morning and good afternoon, wherever you may be. Um, thank you guys for joining us. I'm Caleb Roop. I'm the CEO of the Pacific Companies. I uh, own and operate a real estate development company primarily focused on affordable housing we built about 20,000 units over the course of 25 years, and we mostly just work in the West, but the relevance here today is we have a pretty heavy uh, background in modular construction. We started working with it in 2004. Um, everyone on this panel I've worked with and um, 
appreciated the partnership over the years. And so in those 25-ish projects or so, we've developed a lot of experience and we're just uh, trying to share that with everybody who's interested. Wonderful. Thank you, Caleb. And uh, thank you uh, to the rest of the panel as well. So um, we are going to kick off our conversation here with kind of a perspective on the industry and sort of where things are a little bit. I'd like to start with that. Um, I am curious, you know, um, as you guys have expressed, you are working on a number of these projects, have done this for, uh, you know, years now in some cases. Um, where is the industry today? Um, um, Rick, maybe we'll start with you. Are you, you know, getting more interest? Are you seeing people coming to your factory more? You know, how would you gauge sort of where uh, the industry is today? From a modular, from a modular, uh, you know, um, uh, point point of view. Uh, thank you. Uh, uh, where I see it today is, is it's growing. Uh, there's much more interest out there than what there was even five years ago. And I think all the things adding up is what's causing a lot of that. But uh, we've got a lot of interest from new people that's never done modular before that has an interest in it because of some of the trials and tribulations they're going through right now. We have uh, probably more people coming out to the facility to see it, touch it, feel it, and try to better understand it than we ever have in the past. Uh, so things are moving upward with that. And I think as more education gets out there, we'll see a, a further increase. Are you noticing, Rick, as the folks are coming in, um, are the questions getting more sophisticated about, you know, uh, the you know project themselves? Uh, do you feel like the industry is you know, better equipped to sort of deal with uh, this uh, uh, type of construction? Uh, the the questions are becoming more sophisticated every time, right? And every group is different, uh, but there's so much to learn and understand before you jump off and do a modular project. But I think that information, we're better equipped today to talk about that and, and help people understand it better. Uh, so it's um, uh, every person that comes through the door has a different set of questions. Uh, but they all relate to uh, similar, similar ideas. Yeah. So yeah, we see a big increase. Joanna, you're on the sort of front end of this process. Uh, as an architect, you're dealing with folks at the very start, right? What What are you seeing? How are How are things on your side? So right now, AO has over 55 projects in different phases, anywhere from on the boards all the way to be completed or are already completed. And we can definitely see a difference and the evolution of where we were seven years ago, 10 years ago and where we are today. There are definitely more factories. There is definitely an interest. But one thing we find out is that nobody, it's really hard for somebody to decide to be the pioneer and do something for the first time. There is the risk, there is the factor of the unknown. So we definitely see more interest and more appetite as more projects that are affordable, they do the 3D volumetric construction, are built and completed, and people can see it, and they can feel it, and they can see how they can make it work based on their needs, their performance, their vision. So that's where we are. I, I agree. Visiting the factory, it's, it's great. You meet the people who do it. There are a lot of different factories. The way I describe it, because I have visited, I think, all of them, they even have a different personality of how they function, what is the process, what is the pipeline, and how it works. So it's 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 great. It's uh, it's different. There are different ways to do modular. Sometimes people want to do it because they like the technology, right. but in reality, the cost is a big factor. And knowing all the rules of the game and the constraints and opportunities of each one of the factories is super important from day one. Yeah, and we'll get into some of that conversation. Yeah. That's that's kind of be sort of the meat and bones of our of our discussion here. Uh, Caleb, how about you? Uh, you're on the development side, so tell us kind of uh, what what this has uh, meant for you over the last few years. Well, we have benefited greatly from the use of the technology, but we've been doing it for a long time, and um, I think we have a lot of experience and a lot to share with folks to help them maybe avoid some of the troubles that we had early on as we you know went through a learning curve. There was nobody really in the market that was doing multifamily modular, so. We kind of had to take those lumps ourselves, but one of my goals is to share as much as I can with um, people that want to try it so that they have a good experience. That's why I'm here today. Um, developers are really disrupted right now, uh, interest rate environment, the cost, everything else. And so modular really is a, 
you know, amazing solution when applied correctly in the right conditions and the right markets. Um, it can be a big, big benefit. And it really can solve uh, problems, financing problems and cost problems, which we're really dealing with today. So, you know, I'm a, you know, an advocate for modular technology and the use thereof. Uh, and I've, like I said, done about 25 projects. We have another 15 on the board, many that AO, uh, Architect Orange is designing. And um, I just want to try to support uh, Nibby Brothers and, and Audible and other organizations that are committed to this space and help them learn things that, that I learned the hard way or, you know, fortunately got to experience and, and, and figure out on my own. But, um, you know, ultimately, that's the goal is, is it's not rocket science, but it's different and it requires an education. And so yeah. we are seeing... I'd say fewer questions, fewer basic questions these days. Like we were around 10 years, the questions were very basic. Now we're getting more sophisticated questions, but fewer of them in total. And that that does show that the marketplace is starting to learn and adopt the technology and, and be better with it. Yeah. Randall, and you're on the construction side of things, obviously, right? So you um, have seen it uh, evolve as well. Uh, you now guys have a few projects under your belt too. So tell us kind of what, what, you, what, you know, what are you seeing, you know, just in terms of the, you know, interest and the people that you're working with? Yeah, we're definitely seeing a marked interest from our multifamily development clients. Um, I would say right now on average about probably a third of new opportunities that come in that we're looking at that are multifamily are at some point during the conversation bringing modular up. Um, the, which is great because it's, a, it's, I think there's more confidence in the industry and the method. Um, and to everybody's points here, I think it's the sophistication of the questions, the knowledge base, I think is growing, which is fantastic. It's helping to promote it and create more success stories using modular. Um, I think one of our greatest challenges with that is tends to be that, um, sometimes the, the consideration for modular isn't coming into the conversation soon enough, perhaps. Um, I know we'll talk a little bit more about the day about, you know, how we can be better about doing that. But when these opportunities do come up more often than not, we are taking the time to evaluate them as both a conventionally built project, as well as one using modular construction to help the client and the team determine what's the best course of action for the job. It, it's not a one size fits all. Um, but as Caleb mentioned earlier, when it's applied appropriately and well, it does what it's intended to do, which is to build affordable, high quality housing. Yeah. And you guys have mentioned um, uh, that, uh, you know, the audience is getting more sophisticated. Some of the, you know, discussion points, people understand a little bit more what they're getting into. Mm -hmm. um, uh, Caleb, you alluded to this a little bit, you know, um, you know, that, you know, part of it is all obviously cost. Um, but let's focus on that now. What are the reasons that people are coming to you, you know, all of you, right? And um, why is mo modular now all of a sudden on their on their radar? Well, they're they're stuck. I mean, they're stuck. The developers are stuck partly because of costs uh, and just other issues. I mean, the, this space is getting more complicated, difficult to execute in. Utility companies are not helpful. Um, you know, we we've kind of overcome supply chain issues, but still have electrical switchgear problems and other things that really make it hard for developers these days. So, a lot of these developers have heard about modular. They have, I mean, it's it's been around a bit now uh, on the multifamily side since you know two thousand two three in there somewhere um, out west, anyways. And so they've heard about it. They've seen projects go up, but they've never taken the time to really investigate it. And now they're kind of compelled to do it. Honestly, I mean, I think that's one of the major reasons the costs have gotten, in my view, out of control. And um, they just they just you can't generate enough rent to pay for the costs anymore. So modular is kind of a cost reset is how I view it. And not to mention the time. Time is money, especially in this high interest rate environment. The longer your construction schedule, the more you're going to pay in interest. And um, those carrying costs now are substantial. I mean, interest rates for construction financing are 7 percent now. That's a huge cost. So that also drives the bus. And then I think that um, the quality matters too. Uh, factory built product is uh, a completely different construction style than on-site execution. And when you build something in a factory, it's controlled, it's protected. The quality is better. The work comes to the worker through an assembly line. The, the worker doesn't chase the, the work all around the job site, up and down stairs, et cetera. And so there's just a different level of execution. So you get a better product, 
you get it done faster and you get it done for less. Th those are the ideal outcomes if somebody's disciplined in their approach to modular. And I think people are seeing that and they're wanting to try it. Uh, and that's part of the process that a, the new marketplace goes through. It's funny that it is a new market in many ways to people, but literally it's been around for a long time, uh, yeah. but it just hasn't been widely adopted. And so we're starting to see that adoption rate pick up meaningfully too. Right. Joanna and Randall, you guys are on the front end of the process, obviously. So, you know, developers engage with you very early on and kind of try to get the team together to, you know, make this thing happen. Um, how does modular coming to your conversation? Is it parallel to other types? Are they asking you for advice, for guidance? Um, you know, what, what are their reasons to say yes? I'm going to say all of the above. If I had an option, I agree with Caleb 100%. The construction cost and where we are today in the economy is a huge factor of why more and more developers today want to explore a modular construction. I know we have people on the chat, I can see they're from India and Idaho and Texas, which is great, but focusing, for example, in California, there are a lot of legislations that make modular construction a really, really good candidate. So when a developer comes to us, uh, what we say is even if they want to explore it and see how it works, it's easier to design something in a modular manner and follow the modular principles. And then down the line, you can demodularize it than going the other way around. I'm doing most of the planning uh, for AO, for the modular projects. And I can tell you, it's it's the same, but it's not. Yes, it's planning, the same with conventional stake build, but there are different set of rules that you need to follow to make it able to, 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 to follow the modular principles per se. So for us, when somebody comes, the first advice we give is you have to have the right team day one. It's not a typical conventional stick build process. Things need to, it's, it's a different step by, if we go step by step, step one, you have to do the planning, then entitlement, then move to DD, then move to CD. It's not like that. It's a more, uh, it's more integrated, the process, and having the right people on the bus is super important. Yeah. Uh, we're working, I mean, with Caleb's team and with Audible and with, with all of you guys, we work with the consultants to make sure that craning works, storage is in close proximity, everything is aligned. We have as few soap boxes as possible. Ideally, everything needs to be uploaded, right? The other thing is that usually when you are that early of the game, someone doesn't know with which factory they want to move forward with. So when we design it, we try to be on the conservative side. And once the developer picks the factory, you can go back and make sure we don't leave anything on the table. So we tighten yeah. it up. And and, and, and I want to get into some of the best practices here short shortly, but but I also want to just just highlight right now, um, you know, the types of companies and sort of some of the reasons why uh, you know companies consider modular, right? Mm -hmm. So so Randall, from from your point of view. Um, you know, when, you know, companies come to you guys, you know, what, what are, what are some of their, you know, thoughts and, you know, how do you guys get down that path? Yeah. I mean, I think similar for, as it was presented on, is it, it's, it's cost driven, right? It's trying to find a way to more economically build the projects. Um, and I think with that, you know, is, is the challenge that the cost savings, you know, in many cases, sometimes is enough for the client to tip the scale for them to take on some of the, you know, the different types of risks that are associated with modular construction, Right. And I think as, as the industry becomes more versed at all levels, from the approach from the developer to the design, to the manufacturers continue to innovate what they do to the building community, getting more familiar with the product so they can be more, you know, I wouldn't say aggressive, but more accurate with their pricing. It's still new for a lot of the subcontracting community. And so I think with that, there's still some contingencies built in how the projects are getting priced. And we're working hard to try to help educate the community in that sense and our partners so that we can get that pricing to be even more competitive and, and show that there is more of a cost savings for projects that are well-designed and designed for manufacturing. Um, but again, it's very much a cost conversation. Um, there is schedule savings and it is part of the cost. Um, we typically see for, you know, the average four over one podium with, um, you know, say on average hundred units, you know, we'll save two to three months off the construction schedule. So there's, there's savings with that for the developer on carry costs. There's savings on general conditions for the contractor. Um, but I think the bigger part of it, it's just the overall, the cost of the, the, the hard cost of the project itself. Yeah. 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 Rick, um, 
you know, are I, 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 maybe you can share the specific names of you know companies, but maybe the types of developer, types of companies that are kind of you know coming, the types of projects they're looking to you know build this this way. Um, tell us what what are you what are you seeing? So it's all different types. Uh, obviously, you've got companies like the Pacific companies. You've got uh, general contractors like Nibby, but developers are coming in. And they're usually a, for us, uh, we're a multifamily builder. So it's usually they're looking for a multifamily project. They either have a cost issue, which is 90% of the time they're looking at cost, or they have a timing issue, or they're building in an area where there's not a lot of labor, or it's a short building season, right? So it's all those things above that they usually come in here and talk to us about. And really what they're looking for is they're looking for a great product at a great price that can be delivered on time to cut their time in the development of the project and something of high quality. That's usually who's coming. Yeah. Geographically, Rick, where are you seeing these people come from? Uh, for our for our neck of the woods, it's all mostly coming from California. We've got some coming from Colorado, some from Washington, and even some from Wyoming currently. Yeah. Interesting. Um, so I, I do want to get to, um, you know, some of the ro roadblocks, right? So I think that's sort of an obvious question. We have a couple of questions in the, in the audience, um, here about that, you know, too, but, um, what are the typical pushbacks, um, um, Randall and, I and, um, Johan, I'll start with you guys. You know, when when you do hear folks uh, go down this path, what seems to be kind of the you know typical pushback? We have one comment here uh, from one of the listeners who's saying that he's not really finding the cost to be that much cheaper. Now, this could be specific to a project in San Francisco or the neighborhood in San Francisco, uh, but but I am curious. You know, what what are what are those um, what what is that feedback? I'd say starting with, you know, as you want to mention earlier, it's if you're confident in the method and you've been kind of done your homework, right? And you're saying, hey, I, I know this works and I want to find a way to use it. I think starting out with the project with that mindset to, you know, look at it's, it comes down to even site selection. And Caleb can speak to this even better, but, you know, it's the site selection. And then, then with your design team, it's looking at how you're going to lay out and mass that building. If you start out with the modular mindset to begin with, you always have that opportunity later on down the line for whatever the reasons may be. It's a much easier adjustment to switch to a conventional build and do vice versa. You know, the challenge that we sometimes see when the projects get to us, depending on how early we're brought into that conversation, is that they may have started as a conventional build and now they're treating it as this very large value engineering item on the list. And we're now trying to shoehorn modular into it. Um, now, a lot of times you look at a building's layout massing and say, okay, I could see where that could be carved up and made into modular components. The problem is, you know, have it because it wasn't started off that way, it's not gaining the full efficiency and benefit of modular construction, right? So for that reason, you know, there are many opportunities that we come across that the cost savings aren't that large because it's not taking enough advantage. Or sometimes the site selection too, which is a big part of, you know, you got to think about the logistics that go into modular construction. You do need some lay down space. You need to have the ability to bring in hoisting equipment. Uh, and prep areas to prep the modules before they're set. If you're in a you know dense urban environment, it definitely can be done. It just requires a lot more homework and thoughtful planning. And then it can tip the scale on cost too, versus if you're in a more open area, a little less oh, urban. Lost them. Uh, a little less urban where you, uh, you've got a lot of lay down space. You've got abilities to use various types of cranes, right? So it really comes down to the, the earlier you can have this discussion in the development of the project, the more opportunity you're going to have to be successful with it. Yana, same uh, yeah. same question to you. Uh, yes. What are what are some of the you know pushbacks that you typically hear? I agree with Randall, hundred percent. Like modular, uh, as he mentioned, and we discussed before as well, it's a very disciplined approach, mm -hmm. and you have to have the right mindset and understand that yes, it's different. And same with conventional stick build, there might be some pros and cons. But you have to understand what are your expectations and what you hope to get out of it. Uh, not all the site is an appropriate site for modular. And you have to look at it 360 and understand how to make it work. You cannot say, oh, yes, for example, I'm going to give you an example, right? On conventional stick build, the corner doesn't fit. I'm going to adjust the unit, the unit plan a little bit and make it work. I'm going to shorten it this way, wider this way. No, 
there these decisions cost money and you have to understand that you can slice this pie only in that many pieces. On modular, for example, the width of the module is super important because it's related to transportation costs, which has a domino effect on other areas. So all these things that some sometimes uh, developers do not understand it or they're not willing to be patient and go through this learning curve like everything new if you haven't done it before there is a learning curve and next time it's going to be better there are a lot of lessons learned i'm planning all the modular projects for the last six or seven years but every time i talk with caleb or with nibi or autoval or pfl every time i learn something new of how to evolve and how to make it better and that's part of the process we are all learn every day how to become better together yeah. And that's why, again, having the right team and not trying to use shortcuts, it's super, super important. Yeah. Caleb, um, as a developer, you said there were obviously, you know, lessons learned throughout this process. Um, um, in the light of kind of, you know, pushback and sort of things that people are concerned about, what are some of the things that, you know, you have learned, maybe things that you wish you knew uh, going into this, you know, experience and kind of things that maybe um uh, not all of them but if you can highlight a few obviously things that you know you you've learned that you would like to share with you know fellow development folks right um who who are considering this well i i mean more than anything it's a different way to build and and i kind of claim there's about 25 fundamental things you've got to know or learn that are different than conventional construction they're not rocket science they're just different and if you don't take the time to learn those things or work with team members that have experience, you will spend more money or not have any savings on modular. You will take longer or experience no time savings. Um, you will have issues. You will end up with a bad taste in your mouth and think that you're going to throw the baby out with the bathwater and just ditch modular because it doesn't make any sense and it didn't work for you. Those will be your outcomes. And so you have to take the time to assemble the right team to take a very disciplined approach learn the technology i mean okay so i mean i'm 25 projects and counting on modular obviously if it didn't work i would have stopped a long time ago but i still keep doing it because it does work but i've also taken the time to learn what i need to learn to surround myself with the right people and and execute accordingly um, some of the things that come up as objections are well, the upfront deposits are difficult to handle. I can't get my lenders to understand how this process works and how I'm gonna manage the financing. Um, I've heard of factories uh, failing, going down, you being left without the ability to produce modules. Um, rain damage, uh, certainly those make the news. Uh, you know, California, the West Coast is subject to pretty significant storms and they can happen in the summertime. And if you're not protected and weatherproofed and your modules are exposed, remember like in a conventional build, you've got framings done, you're dried in, you've got a roof on, and then you put your drywall in there and your insulation, et cetera. Well, with module, that stuff all shows up and you still got to put the roof on. So if you've done something in some way to not prepare yourself adequately to protect your roof, when that water comes, it's going to damage sheetrock and it's going to damage insulation and flooring, cabinets potentially. And so you're going to be ripping that stuff out. So that has happened because of a lack of education, a lack of knowledge, and a lack of preparedness. And so th those kinds of things end up producing the, the consequences. Um, you know, there, there are many considerations, like we mentioned some of them, making sure that you have the right product type, um, thinking about like, you know, appliances are manufactured, okay? It's not like you design or program 25 different refrigerators in your buildings. Sure. No one does that. Right. Well, in the same way, modular needs to have a little bit more of a manufacturing approach, you know, not 25 floor plans, um, be more disciplined in your design perspective. And so if you're not, if you're not disciplined and you're not thinking about manufacturing process in concert with your building design, then you will start to erode the savings that the factory can produce for you. And, you know, that's another example. So when somebody says they didn't save any money, I'm just like, yep. If I look at that building design, I'm like, yep, you, you, I can see why you didn't save any money because it really wasn't a modular project, wasn't designed for modular. And, um, you know, it's a problem. So fundamentally, um, it's a it's a comprehensive, different way to think and different way to build. And that is what you have to just accept going in. 
um, and, and embrace and then learn it. And, you know, as speaking for one that's learned it and embraced it, um, it's very, very valuable. In the Bay Area, for example, we save right around $100 a square foot. Okay, that's a lot of money in, in the Bay Area to save. And that basically enables us to do projects that we wouldn't be able to do otherwise because we needed more soft money or we needed higher rents or whatever. So, you know, that that is the outcomes for us. And they can be the outcomes for those that take the time to learn the technology and apply it accordingly. Yeah. Interesting. Interesting. I do want to get into sort of some of the best practices and sort of things that work. Um, we do have a, quite a few questions from the audience. So I want to try to address a few of those if that's possible. Um, so I'll kind of go down a few of them chronologically. Um, my, my apologies if I, I, you know, we don't have time to answer all of them, but I'll try to pick pick a few. We have a few around sort of very specifics, um, you know, uh, but one is around um, if a modular project uh, is, you know, certified as factory built housing and then permitted at the state level. In your experience, um, how much faster, cheaper is the design, engineering, and permitting for the pre-construction process? Um, and anyone want to answer that one? Well, I, I would just say, I mean, we've only worked in California heavily with modular. We work in several other states, but California's process for modular inspections and plan check is the best in the country that I've found. Um, they do a great job there. And they have a very robust system and it's worked really, really well. We, when we build affordable housing, we have a requirement that we have to start construction within 180 days uh, of receiving an award of financing, tax credit financing usually. And the modular process is not the issue. It's the local plan check process that, that is our bottleneck, if you will, or our, you know, our, our critical path. The modular plan check by the state and their hired inspectors uh, and plan checkers is actually much faster than a conventional uh, process. I would say that I don't feel like there's like a lot of money savings um, on that phase of the project. And because the local still has to inspect a or in plan check a substantial portion of the building, um, I don't feel like there's a time savings that much either on that piece of it. Uh, but you know, that's not really where we we really focus on modular's value is that process. Right. It, it is better, um, but it's not like the reason to do modular in my view. Yeah. Yep. Adding yep. to Caleb's comments, I would say, you know, especially get to know your municipality where you're building the project. Um, I think, you know, when you have your kickoff meeting with, with the city agencies, you know, I encourage you to broach that subject as quickly as possible that you tend to use modular construction because if they don't have a lot of experience with it, there will be a bit of a learning curve with their with them. Um, and it's good to find out what those hurdles will be. Uh, they cannot, I, uh, I don't think they're allowed to say, no, you cannot. I don't believe that they can make it difficult for you. Um, but it's good to find out what the hurdles are so you can work through them. Um, you know, namely the fire department's going to have, you know, one of your points of concern. You always want to make sure you include the fire marshal in those discussions, but do that early on. Um, and at some point you'll end up, you know, between the, Many, uh, the design team, the state, and the AHJ, you'll end up negotiating a bit of a, a plan check and inspect, inspection matrix that actually goes in your documents. And that is a really critical tool to making sure everybody's clear about their roles and responsibilities, both during the plan check process, but also when you get into construction, who's inspecting what. And we refer to that often during that process to make sure we're all you know doing our jobs appropriately. Um, this, this is not a question that, that I'm trying to throw shade on anybody, but one of the questions was, are the architects the hindrance sometimes to the, to this process? Um, um, Ioana, I don't know if this is something you're obviously not a hindrance, but I don't know if other firms uh, might be because they don't have the expertise. Um, do it, would, would, would you be able to answer that? Yes. Having the right team with a similar vision, day one is key in the process. Uh, so are there some architects? Sure. Are there some that believe in modular and they see the future in modular construction and overall component fabrication? Yes. So yes and no, I don't think there is an answer I can give. And it's not like I'm trying to say, you know, oh, AO is best or here is what we do and because we do it is the best. No, I can see both sides. And as I say, the grass is not green or the other side because conventional stick build is used so, 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 so many years. It doesn't mean that there is no space for modular construction. There is need for housing and modular construction 
is one of the solutions. That's, I think, a fact. It's not based on how I feel about it. It doesn't mean there are no other methods and there are no other means. But as Caleb mentioned, he, where he, he's doing modular for so many years, same with Rick, same with Nibi. And if it wasn't working, we wouldn't be here to have this conversation. And again, as we have more built projects and people can walk around it, can walk around and see how they feel, I think we will see more and more moving forward. Another thing about modular construction is that a lot of people think that modular equals affordable equals VE. No, affordable means affordable and market rate means market rate. So when you compare an affordable project, you need modular, you need to compare it with one conventional stick build. And affordable housing based on the RINA numbers and based on the housing crisis throughout you know, the world, it's something that we need. So personally, my two cents as an architect and representing AO, I do not agree with the statement, but I can see some, how some other ones may do. Yep, yep. Um, is modular better suited for low mid-rise versus, versus high-rise? Um, Rick, maybe this, is, uh, maybe this is a question for you. I think it depends on what kind of construction you're doing. Obviously, if you're wood construction, you can only go up so high anyway. <clears throat> but it's being done with high rises across the country. Uh, from my perspective, uh, I think it's more suitable to uh, more of a low rise for what we do. Uh, but if you move into some of the red iron type of modular, uh, they're accustomed to doing high rise. So I think it fits both based on the knowledge and the experience that you have. And Rick, I'll do a quick follow-up for you too. Uh, comments about durability against traditional types of uh, construction. You know, I would tell you that I think it's more durable uh, because we build differently in modular construction. Uh, obviously, we're we're building a component that's going to go down the road and so forth. And so I think there's some additives that's put into modular that uh, you wouldn't normally find on traditional housing. Uh, but I think the wear and tear is as good or better uh, than traditional site-built housing because everything was built in a manufacturing plant in a controlled environment. All the materials are in a controlled environment from the time that we receive them to the time that we produce it. And then the learning curve, uh, it's shortened quite a bit because you have one spot in a manufacturing plant where you're working together and it's all teams working simultaneously to build a product and get it out the end of the, end of the production line. And the inspection system, I think, is far better, in my own opinion, because not only does the manufacturing plant have their own inspection team that's trained on all the codes and issues that you're going to go through building, but we're also inspected by a third party representing the state. And so it really has a dual inspection system on every module being produced in detail. Yeah, wonderful. And I'll pick one last question now, and then we'll come back to some of these questions. Uh, uh, one specific question was around a um preschool can 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 a project like this be be constructed uh in this in this method uh it can we we built a charter school in los angeles with um modular technology and actually went amazing um we didn't we weren't the builder on it on that one that we had a local builder but uh it was a k through five charter school um about forty thousand square feet i believe uh, two levels. And uh, that was our only one we'd ever done modular. We Our, our experience mainly has been in either detached single family product or mostly multifamily, but we do have that one school and that one went really well. And honestly, I didn't know nearly as much about modular as I do today. So I, I got a little lucky, I think, because um, I wasn't nearly experienced, but uh, that was a good experience for us. And, and I know that that is a technology that's applied to just school buildings and, and other types of structures like that. Yeah. Um, Joanna, so I'm, I want to go back to something that you addressed earlier on. You were um, starting to tell us sort of some of the best practices and kind of ways to engage early on. Randall, I think you were talking about this, this too. So maybe this is a question for you guys, uh, both of you to go into a little bit, you know, you know, detail. How does a typical project come to you um, what have you found that, you know, really works during this early stage so that it is, you know, set up appropriately? I mean, for us, it's, we're coming from, the opportunities are coming from a number of resources, can be from the developer, um, you know, some of our architect partners are, are, have been, you know, bringing us into the conversation as well as the manufacturers. I mean, 
this the beauty of this is it it's it's a very collaborative approach. I mean, we are a collaborative industry, but I think this is actually is a step towards making an improvement to that process. And you know, through that that collaboration comes from us pulling each other together, trying to figure out what is the right team. Right? It's the architects trying to pull it, the builder. You know, the manufacturer says, "Hey, this is in you know th this particular market." You know, they reach out to us and say, "Hey, you need to talk to this client." Um, you know, it, it's very much through our, our networking um, and. You know, that collaborative approach is, you know, that starts in that early involvement, right? Getting the team members involved in the very beginning. It starts with the developer, then your design team, you know, getting your contractor involved early and starting that dialogue with the manufacturers, even though you may not be making a selection for further on down the line, you know, really start to talk to the manufacturers and get to know what their various capabilities are uh, to figure out how that aligns and how that will inform the design. Um, so we always, you know, when we do get introduced to the conversation, we start to find out, you know, who's on the team, where are you guys at, what have you considered so far? Um, and let's make sure we have the right people in the conversation to help, you know, give the client the best set of information to make these decisions. And Joanna? Again, I agree <laughs> with Randall. Uh, sometimes the developers that come to us, either based on our expertise or you know, repetitive clients, and they, there are quite a few that come from the factories because we work with them, we have great relationship with them. And uh, everything that Randall said, I don't know, I, mean, I know we have a lot of questions, so I don't want to repeat, but the relationships and the right team and understanding the constraints and opportunities of each one of the factories is very critical. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We mentioned um, uh, when we kicked off the webinar, and there's uh, there's a link in sort of at the top of the uh, mm -hmm. uh, chat box for those of you who haven't, um, you know, who joined us maybe a few minutes later. Uh, but but there there is a link uh, that talks about a specific project, uh, Sangle Court. Um, uh, Randall, this is a project that you guys constructed. Um, Rick, you guys were part of this as well. Johan, I think you you guys too, right? Um, oh, uh, what? David sorry? Baker. Sorry, David Baker was the architect for Sango. Oh, oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. Sorry, yeah. sorry about that. Yeah, yeah. So, what what went right? Um, you know, what are what are some of the highlights here that you know you can you can sort of say this is why this project work as sort of an exemplar in terms of you know how how this could be um, done done you know correctly. Yeah, actually, uh, Sango Court is one of the examples of a project that started out as a conventionally built project. Um, but having uh, David Baker's office, having had experience with modular construction and the client was looking for a, a manner in which to help reduce the project's cost, that got introduced into the conversation during design. Um, it, it may have came in a little bit later in the process, but as we started to discuss it and look at its opportunities, um, you know, the client got engaged, they were supporting of it, and we did some initial pricing exercises at that point in time to show that we believe that it could yield the cost savings that the project needed. And we started down that path um, and we built a really good team around that. Um, again, the architect had experience with modular. Um, our MEP team as well, for the most part, also had experience designing modular projects, which was a huge help. So we were off to a really good start. Um, you know, we went through an extensive process, you know, uh, interviewing and getting to know the manufacturers to find the right partner. Um, in that case, which ultimately we landed with Audible. Um, and they also brought there to help kind of facilitate that transition that we went through. You know, they, we brought Prefab Logic into the mix as well. And they helped usher what we had to accomplish as a very shortened design revision period in order to make sure it worked for the client's uh, schedule as it as required for their financing. Um, and so we went through that change of design and bringing the manufacturer in in a very short period of time, but we had a very organized approach, which was really important. Um, and it brought the whole team together. I mean, we worked really closely. You know, everybody was a partner, including the manufacturer, especially the manufacturer. Uh, and working through that and working with the client to help them understand some of the nuances, some things that were already set, whether it's a design feature, um, it may have been a specification for a product or material or a performance spec in the building. You know, we had to go through that education process with our client a little bit, and they were a true partner. They were willing to give and, give and take where they needed to. Audible helped do the same, right, with some things that they, you know, that were specific to their manufacturing process. Um, and, you know, we successfully pulled it together, got it through permitting and, you know, got through construction and, you know, just a few weeks ago, got our TCO. So um, it really was um, a fantastic experience. Um, and again, it comes down to having a really great team that worked very well, very closely together. Yeah. 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 Rick, how about how about the experience for you? 
awesome experience. Uh, the thing that uh, really excited me, and I think there's a reason why it was so successful, is between the architect, between the engineering, prefab, between Audible and Nippy, it was a collaboration that was excellent. There was a timeline that was set. There was things we had to complete on time. And there had to be good understanding on everybody's part of what our capabilities were what versus what their desires were. I can say that Nibby, uh, they had people at our facility, going through our facility, looking at everything we do, talking to our group, understanding from our group. Our group was doing the same thing with them, understanding what their needs are and the whys. Why is this necessary? Why is this important? And from the start of the project all the way through the set, it was a very, very close relationship between those companies that executed well up front because up front saves you tons of time and money uh, all the way through the finish of the building. It was just an excellent project. Yeah, yeah the lesson learned for the builders out there is, is do your due diligence and you cannot do enough planning, right? Get out there. You know, the manufacturer is truly a partner you know, I think our industry has a lot to learn how we treat the subcontracting community. And I think learning a little bit how manufacturing looks at its vendors and, and partnerships, really, that's a key part to this success is you're really working side by side. So to the builders out there, get to know the various manufacturers, start to build those relationships, get to know, you know, the uniqueness of, it, of their products, because everyone's got something a little bit different, right, that they do just based on how their facilities are set up. But do that due diligence, bring your subcontractors out there. That's one of the things we did during pre-construction as we grabbed our MEP partners that we identified. Um, they joined us for a tour of the facility so they could see exactly how their work was gonna interface, their site work with the modular work, uh, gave them a good visual. Um, and on the planning side, you know, we really, between the digital modeling, you know, the, the BIM coordination, the digital twin that we created with Prefab and AutoVault, we virtually built the project before you went into manufacturing, right? So that ensured we had a you know an accurate manufacturing process. When the products came out, got to the site, they everything was exactly where it was expected to be, whether it's a structural connection or an MEP interface. Um, and we carried that coordination all the way through into the corridors as well. Like everything on site, we had laid out and figured out in advance. So that comes down to the team's you know extensive efforts to do you know really just turn over every rock look for anything that potentially could trip us up and make sure we had thought about it and coordinated it and brought the team in you know to plan it out yeah and randall quick follow-up question there there was a question from the audience about mep being built in um i, I think the answer to that is correct right that is correct yeah the um they are completely roughed in uh finishes are installed at the factory um, a common you know, arrangement or design for a modular given modular unit is it, it's it's a corridor down the middle bordered by living space on either side. And so most of that MEP typically is is uh, dead ended there into the corridor. So whether it's your water supply lines, fire sprinkler, electrical, telephone data, waste and vent, it typically all comes in the corridor that's all exposed and available for its on-site connection. And that's where you end up doing a lot of your finished work is really in that corridor space. But once you walk through that entry door, into that unit, you're 98% done coming out of the factory. Wonderful. Uh, Caleb, for you and um, also Joanna, I you know, want to give you guys an opportunity to sort of highlight maybe a project that you know you guys worked on that that you know was was done really well, but uh, you know, specifically highlight some of the reasons why the outcome was uh, successful. Well, we have quite a few, um, but I can say that um, a recent one. Uh, that we we're finishing up now is in San Jose. It's called Virginia Studios. It's right off the 280 freeway, 7th and Virginia. If anybody wants to go see it, we're, uh, you know, unfortunately we are caught in the uh, electrical switch gear slash waiting for PG&E to fire up our building uh, death cycle. Um, but other than that, uh, we've been sitting there ready to go for, for quite a few months now. The modular process worked out really well. Um, Audible built those modules uh, for us. And uh, we saved the money that we intended to save. Uh, and, and we actually got the building done uh, about four months ahead of our uh, conventional schedule that we would have had. That's kind of what we saved on that one, four to five months, roughly. Um, we're actually not going to save any of that because of the electrical issue. But uh, <laughs> had we had the electrical issue handled, we would, we would experience those savings. Um, the reason I think partly it was very successful and will continue to be is just because we do understand the fundamentals of modular. We understand the design parameters that you work with. Um, and I invite you to go check it out because it is a pretty building. You wouldn't necessarily know it was modular. It looks nice. It's attractive. 
Um, modular doesn't mean a compromise in design or architecture. If you guys go see the the single court project that Nibby did with Audible, um, that's going to be something you're going to be very impressed with. It's a beautiful building and a lot of, you know, precious exterior treatments that make the building really pop. But, you know, the modular element of this building did not detract from any of the appeal of the asset. And so that's kind of a common misconception. You're sort of constrained by these dimensions and height issues and stuff. And that while those fundamentals are true, they don't really impair your ability to deliver a beautiful building. And that's something to remember. So we save time, we save the money uh, that we wanted to save. Um, and ultimately it's a very successful project. And we were able to build that project without any public subsidy from the city of San Jose or you know HCD or the other agencies that fund those soft dollars. So that, that's why it was a success. Um, you know, again, we, the electrical issue was not a success and we're failing on that front, but, um, you know, the building will eventually get placed in service and serve its intended purpose of providing affordable housing for seniors in San Jose. And, uh, we're proud of that, but, um, Ioana, you know, you could maybe say, and um, we have many on the board, but, yeah. uh, but you, you know, that one, obviously, you know, you guys were involved in and, and many others. Uh, yeah, yeah, we have quite a few on the boards right now, mainly in Northern California, and Virginia Studio is a successful example of a project that was originally designed as stick built, and then we had to convert to modular, and there are quite a few challenges when you do that, anything from the facade, the architectural elevations, for the vision of the project, and also because you don't want to go back to the city and open that door of having conversations again. So we were able to maintain the architectural design, the overall look, how it feels, how it lives. And then we have quite a few projects. Well, actually, we have one in Limos Point, uh, Limos Point um, uh, in Northern California, which is a three-story uh, flat stack project. Uh, we have in San Bruno, we have in Santa Maria, I don't know, we have quite a few together with Caleb and Otto Olnibi. So uh, very exciting to see all these projects moving forward. Uh, all these are affordable projects and they are different. I know there was a question before of what is the ideal building height? Like, is it a low rise, high rise? Right now, we are focusing on type five and type three. And three, we have three story flat stack that I think it's almost completed. It's going to be completed in a couple of weeks, if I'm not wrong. And it has surface parking. But most of the affordable projects we are currently working on are podiums, five over one. So it's five-story type 3A over one level of uh, podium parking. So if you haven't seen one, especially in Northern California, I'm pretty sure you will drive <laughs> across one very, very soon. You'll, yeah. you'll have seen one and wouldn't have known it. Um, oh, yes, that's that's true. That's that's the other thing. You wouldn't have seen One thing I'll say just about San Jose is we that was a project we inherited. And yes. uh, we did get somewhat lucky in that the um, a lot of studio units, which are yeah. actually a very good uh, unit type to convert. So we, our conversion process was probably easier than, than most. Um, so we got lucky when we inherited that project it, it, entitled. We didn't drive the entitlements there. We, it was a conventional pr uh, project at, at the start. So, I mean, that made that conversion process quite a bit easier than, than something that would have been different. Yeah. I, I agree. Well, mm -hmm. yeah, thank you. I do want to, we have about five minutes left. So I want to focus the last few minutes on the questions from the audience. We have quite a few that have come through. So again, um, I'm going to try and you know pick some of the ones here that are that are that are the most um, uh, you know relevant here. Um, so, um, uh, what size of modules can be transported on on the roads, highways? Uh, this this is specific to Idaho and California, but I but is there is there such a limitation uh, on um, roads in in these two states and other states? Uh, Rick, you might want to do that, but there are limitations. And um, generally speaking, you, you you tap out at about 16 feet of, of width. Um, and that's actually pretty expensive. Um, you're talking about like state trooper escorts in those situations, and that can really jam you up. So, you know, just as a rule, we don't really build modules any wider than about 15. Uh, and, you know, we'll end up with two pilot cars in that situation. But 15 is about what we call it. And ideally, if you can be like 12 and 14 foot modules, that's kind of a nice number to be at. But 15 is sort of like the limits we feel are practical. 
14 would be the least expensive to ship and then 15 is a little bit more and then 16 you're getting into some rates that sometime uh don't work for the numbers thank you so that's what's most, most common yeah um randall this might be a question for you but uh, there are a couple of questions around union labor um and um you know how how, how have you interacted with that yeah, so actually, Nibby, uh, we're signatory to carpenters and laborers unions here in San Francisco. Um, and so, you know, from a from an, a setting and installation standpoint, um, you know, a lot of the setting companies that are out there that are have the capability of not only working out the site logistics, but they actually will handle the hoisting and the structural connections of the models, almost like a soup to nuts type approach. Um, but some of that work falls under the jurisdiction of carpenters and laborers. So what we did in our case is that we partnered with one of those companies and they came more of a consultant to us, right? They helped us, they help us work through the site logistics, uh, the trucking, you know, getting the optimal crane type and size specified for the job. And then their team, you know, works alongside our crew. So we have our carpenters and our laborers doing those exact tasks, right? They're, they're doing the rigging. They're doing all the structural connections of the modules. Um, you know, from an MEP standpoint, uh, for those trades involved in our projects, you know, depending on the jurisdiction, the nuances of the job, uh, we have a lot of projects that are um, uh, funded with, you know, that require prevailing wages. So, you know, we do get a, a significant uh, level of union participation in many of our projects. Um, and I did see someone had a really good question about in there about kind of educating and training those trades, right? Helping to get them to, if this is kind of a, a growing in popularity technology in our industry, what can they do? I would say get your reps to get to know the factories, get to know the product, um, you know, get out there. I think most factories are welcome that uh, they want to promote the industry. They want to promote the education, um, get to know the differences. Um, you know, there's nothing that's, you know, specifically different than what you already know how to do. I think it's getting to understand this, the uniqueness of where your work, you know, picks up and leaves off. And if anything, we can probably stand to learn something from each other, right? This is still an evolving industry. We're always looking for better ways to, make connections, be more efficient. Um, and I think some of that that sharing of knowledge would do us well. We have one question here, um, Rick, this is probably for you, uh, uh, but it asks about, you know, what do you guys look at when approached by affordable housing developers? I, I, I don't know if you specifically look for things, but you probably try to explain to them how, how, how things are done. Um, but maybe, maybe, you, maybe you can address that. One of the first things we look at is the design, and really we're looking at the design to see if it's modular friendly or whether it really should be done traditionally, uh, because manufacturers are no different than anyone else. They don't want to take something in that really should be built in a different way. So we look at that first. We look at the size of it. Uh, we look at the uh, uh, all the ingredients. Is it is it custom built? Is it is it standardized? Because Audubon is more of a standardization company. So we look at all those things to see if we can really add value to the project. Randall, this might be a question for you. Have you found it difficult to find subcontractors who are familiar with this uh, type of work? Um, a little bit, right? Um, there is a growing pool of those that do have experience with it. Um, we actually recently conducted a survey of our uh, trade partners to kind of get a better sense of who has and who hasn't. And for those that have, um, what their experience has been like, um, you know, trying to find out what would they like to see differently, what didn't go well from them, we can try to address. You know, we're proactively trying to find out what we can do to educate them because kind of the comment I made earlier is, you know, I think we'll start to see a greater cost savings with the methodology as more people become more familiar with it. And, you know, for many of the trades, you know, unfortunately, it does take away a significant portion of the work that they would perform on site, depending on which, which discipline they are. Um, but they still are very much a critical player in the project. And it's, it, this method does help us, you know, with uh, currently, you know, what I call a bit of a labor shortage too. We're helping to get more housing to market with this opportunity, right? So there's plenty of work out there. Um, but I would say, you know, we are trying to help make, help them get educated for those that are interested in create those opportunities. And, you know, we, maybe we do an extensive bidding process anyways for any given project. And so, when we approach a modular job, we make sure it's abundantly clear this is the method that's being used. And we try to be very explicit about where their work you know, starts and stops, really, and make sure they understand the scope really clearly. Um, I think it's something in the industry from a design perspective, you know, we could probably you know, work on trying to make that a little more apparent in the drawings. There are visual means that are in there to help delineate the work. Um, but I think, again, it's still evolving. I think the subs will start to become more familiar with how to read, you know, 
how to interpret from a set of plans really what's modular, what's not. Um, I still think there's a bit of a learning curve there, but we're helping to get through it. Yeah, I'm 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 gonna go over just by like a couple of minutes. I, I you know want to squeeze in a couple of uh, extra questions here. Uh, are there commercial ab, ab applications for this method? Um, uh, Caleb, you mentioned a school that you worked on, but uh, you and uh, and um, Joanna will probably have the most most experience here. Uh, what are some other other types of applications? Well, you've seen in schools for a long time, uh, detached structures. And so, uh, you know, I'm talking about a multi-module structure at a school. So we've seen that be the most common. Um, you know, I'd say most of my experience is really residential other than that one school. So I don't have a lot of data points for that. But if you, um, the Modular Building Institute, uh, by the way, is a national organization that has many different types of developers, architects, uh, engineers, modular factories, builders, et cetera. Um, they're a great resource to, uh, to go to, to learn about industrialized construction of all kinds of different things. And in Europe is really, I'd say kind of on the cutting edge of, of that kind of construction for, for different types of buildings. So that'd be a good place to start to get information. Wonderful. Joanna, have you seen any commercial ab ab applications come across uh, your your team desks? Uh, AO has also a hospitality team who is doing uh, modular developments. It's great when I actually work with them because they represent multifamily mixed use, but there have been developments in San Jose that we work together and we're doing the multifamily, they're doing the hospitality um, component. And then uh, as Caleb mentioned, of course, schools. Yeah. Randall, uh, what are some of the challenges regarding uh, logistics in terms of like, you know, delivering, staging the modular boxes and that kind of thing that you guys have to deal with? Um, particularly in the urban areas, it's having, you know, figuring out our workspace, you know, if we're on like a, almost like a zero lot line site, it's figuring out where we're going to safely place a crane and be able to then, you know, again, for our crews to prepare the module when it's brought to the site to un unpackage it, get it ready to hoist. Um, the other thing to be really mindful of is just each jurisdiction has its own nuances for allowable hours for trucking. That's a real challenge of figuring out, okay, you know, on a given day, you're going to deliver anywhere from 10 to maybe if you're having a good day, 16 modules to a project site. Um, and so you got to really pay attention to what the restrictions are in your area to get from, you know, if you're working with a factory that's close enough, you can do direct ship. You still got to figure that out. But even even important, if you have a local staging yard where it went from the factory to a staging yard as a holding bay and you're shipping from there, even though it's a short five, 10 mile difference, you can still have restrictions that can really hinder how much product you can put in place a day. So you really have to pay attention to that. This is my final question. Um, and I thought it was a very good one. What is the last responsible moment? For deciding a go no go for prefab versus versus um, uh, versus stick, um, is it the end of the schematic design? Uh, is it is it earlier? Um, what are what are your thoughts? Um, you know, that question kind of feels like how do you want to die? Uh, swallow poison, <laughs> get shot. You know? um, it's not really the question I would ask. I, I think that. Um, the answer to the question is that you you really have to before you get into CDs. Obviously, that that has to be the time. So you you can work with entitlements, you can make a change, whatever. Um, but you can't really doing CDs is it would be a terrible investment if you haven't picked uh, the way to go. So I, I would say that that would be the time. But again, I'm going to just qualify that and say, please don't do that. Just, you know, understand the technology, understand where it's useful, design your product accordingly, um, plan as you should, get the right team in place, have your site logistics figured out and execute and, and be all in. Don't, don't be towing the water. Towing the water equals not good outcomes and probably not savings of time and money and maybe frustration and then you quit modular. That's just, that's just my, like, as a industry practitioner for over two decades, you know, my strong, hard advice. Wonderful. Awesome. Well, thank you all uh, so much. This was this was great. Uh, this was recorded. So for those of you who are still on, uh, if there's, uh, you know, some of your colleagues you want to share this with, we're, we're, we're going to have this video on our website and we'll be sharing that with um, um, everybody. 
Um, again, please uh, look at the attachments that that we have provided in the in the chat area here. You can download a couple of things there for further reference. And if we can answer any additional questions, please feel free to contact us. I will um, also provide contact um, information for our speakers so you guys can reach out to them directly too. So uh, thank you all for joining us. And uh, thank you to the panel for being so uh, generous with their feedback and their uh, in information. Have a great rest of the day. That was another episode of the Real Perspectives podcast, and we thank you for taking the time to listen to it. Conversations like these help us comprehend our evolving industry better and hopefully provide a perspective that helps you understand the dynamics of commercial real estate. If you like this episode, please subscribe to our show and tell your colleagues about it. That is the best way to spread the news and help us remain relevant across the industry. Cheers. Cheers.